Hey guys, welcome back. BDCKR here. We're back with season 10, episode 3 of our now sort of every other week Q&A videos. Uh, well, it turned out a little differently than we expected because you know how we do the artificial seasons and we did it originally yeah. because of the Scopos. And as it turns out, that was also a transition period between having sort of access to each other regularly and this where yeah. we do things when we can. And also me being in a, a period in my life where I'm a lot busier. So I have to take sort of credit slash responsibility for uh, some of the decrease in upload schedule. That is just because I've got a lot going on right now. A lot of plates in the air right. uh, that I will not talk about for sort of like non-doxing reasons. But a uh, lot, of, lot of stuff very busy and that sure. sort of limits my amount of time that I can, can do this for. Okay, so I guess maybe a bit of housekeeping stuff. We'll start. Let me start with the easiest stuff. I feel like there's a bunch of stuff to talk about even before we get to the questions. But the questions, there's one really interesting one that talks about what happened last week. So, uh, first mm -hmm. thing is, I finished Witch King by Martha Wells, and mm. uh, it's probably no secret. I mean, I'm a big fan of Martha Wells. It's a shift back to the fantasy that she used to do, but it's not what she used to do, right? So it's not the same kind of thing. And it is. It was pretty spectacular. Okay. Yeah. So well, back, that's yeah. So, about as good as the recommendation gets, I'd say. So uh, lately, I haven't been reading very much because I just have, you know, pandemic brain and stuff. But also that the stage of my life where I, I'm having more trouble just getting through a lot of reading. And like I said, already a fan, predisposed to like it. But there were some things that were really very typical of Martha Wells, and some things that were that felt sort of new. One thing she does really well: really great action scenes. And not just that they're sort of intricate, like the way, you know, like good dance is a good action scene, right? Like where it's really well choreographed, because it is. But the part that really works is that it's compelling, that the stakes are there. So it's not just action scene, action scene, action scene. It's that there are stakes where you, I really cared about what was happening and why it was happening. And it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And mm. so there's a couple of really sort of cool things that she did that I wanted to point out that was different than usual. So there's the, the choice of language she uses and different kinds of characters. So obviously the title is Witch King. And so you take familiar terms that you have, like witches, and mm -hmm. you... So it codes for certain things, right? There's certain expectations you have when you see the word witches. And it yeah. surprises you with some unexpected things that happen, which is kind of cool. And then there's mm -hmm. some unfamiliar things, like expositors, that really make you made me feel just that little bit of uncomfortable because it's different, but then it leaves you open to new things. And there's that really interesting, like just a bunch of new ideas. And I know it get, it's a bit cliched where people talk about a really interesting world, really interesting system, but it was yeah. kind of, there was a, almost a joy in how new some of this stuff was and just how different it was without being so unfamiliar that it was hard to sort of settle into it. Mm, that's a hard balance to strike. Right. That's impressive. Now, it was complicated, too. Like, there's certain things that I didn't entirely follow because the political systems and the groupings, there was just a lot going on in a relatively short novel. And I think I might have mm -hmm. to go back to, to, to try it again. But uh, one other thing that she did really well, so demons, this is not really much of a spoiler. So demons can occupy bodies. They come from a different sort of realm, and they can occupy human bodies. And there's different rules. Yeah, being possessed by a demon feels right. like something kind of very traditional with like the right. whole idea of demons. But one thing that typically isn't addressed when you have these sort of demon possession things is that if the demon codes for a certain gender and they're occupying a body that's not, 
the same gender. Mm. What I'm used to seeing is that sort of dysphoria that happens if it's anything's going to happen at all, right? And that mm-hmm. there's it, a lot of the potential implications tend to get ignored. What's neat is that I didn't notice until a little bit later how much, how strongly there was like a, a trans positive message where the others, it's, it's, it's a third person om- omniscient almost. So you really know a lot of what's going on with this third person, but it feels like you're seeing it from their perspective and you see a lot of other stuff. So maybe limited omniscient, I guess, where you know this character, like the, 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 what's happening with the demon, right? Mm-hmm. But the, you're, the others interacting with the demon respect their, I, I, I want to say, it's not that they respect the pronouns, but they're interacting with the demon as they are internally. Mm. Which is kind of neat. Like, it's, there's something about it that it was sort of sneaks up on you in the same way that, say, um, Wizard of Mercy. It sneaks yeah. up on you that Ged isn't white. And I mean, for a, a fantasy book from the 70s, that was actually kind of groundbreaking yeah. and strange, but that, you know, Ged was brown. And again, mm-hmm. that's not a spoiler, but it's it's just neat that there's this kind of stuff that is relatively subtle. It's not in your face, and it's only there kind of if you're looking for it. Okay, this is a great uh, segue because I want to talk about one piece of media that I have consumed recently, and it is the exact opposite of subtle. It is maybe one of the most in-your-face piece of media and I, I think what's really interesting about this which is something i can't say with most stuff that i like watch or read or play which is that i think it's in a lot of ways really effective and in a lot of ways really good and i enjoyed it a lot and i feel almost like i am specifically not recommending it when i'm talking about it like i feel like <laughs> i have a real hard time recommending it and it's because of how over the top it is so it's the show um on amazon prime and it's called the great and it is loosely based off of uh, Catherine the Great, okay, the historical figure in Russia, and so the, the Catherine the Aragorn. For... Okay, yeah, okay, sure. yeah, okay. But so the tagline for season one is an occasionally true story. Uh, season two is an almost entirely untrue story, and then they go back to for season two an occasionally true story. So it takes a very loose sort of telling of history where they're pulling in certain pieces of information, uh, but it is. Uh, sort of like a lens to create an entertainment product and it's not something that you're supposed to come away from it thinking that like the stuff that they're talking about is like true so i'm sure i've learned a little bit about like actual history but i have no clue which pieces of information were the parts that were actually um you know facts and which parts were just totally made up and so why i i think they do it is like so aggressively over the top like it is full of profanity it is really like gross like it is um in a way that like a lot of other shows aren't like i've watched like the boys right and the boys mm-hmm. is like hyper violent right. and i've recommended that um and this is like gross on like another level from the boys if that tells you anything okay where it tells, yeah it's it's like almost constant uh there is like a huge amount of just like sex and like violence and just like weird sort of nasty things that are happening all the time and it's used to create this sort of general sense of like the russian aristocracy being like absolutely sort of like hugely self-interested and like full of like vice and like you know kind of operating almost on like a different level from like what like 
my like human experiences and what would have to be like leagues different from like what the actual people they're ruling over in that times like lived experiences were and so it's all this like sort of like parties like back and all like they're always like drinking and like throwing glasses everywhere and stuff and so it's really like there's moments where i'm like this show is kind of foul and that's why like i can't in good conscience recommend it to anybody because uh, what are you gonna get to like, the good parts it feels like you just put it's all bad <laughs> Yeah, and so what's really interesting about it is they use this sort of over-the-topness to kind of disarm you, and within it, I think there's a lot of actual, like, nuance and character building and growth and, like, really interesting, like, dialogue and, like, family dynamics and the way that they look at, like, sort of, like, generational patterns of behavior and, uh, like, complicated, uh, like, love and, like, interpersonal relationships and then you know they have all of these people who are kind of really gross but it's not like it's not like locker room behavior the same way so they also use it to have like interesting sort of like portraits of like masculinity and like fulfilling like the roles like expected of you and so there's there's all of this like it's it doesn't feel exactly like the boys where it's like the violence is sort of directly part of the message right oh, or like the violence okay, is sort of intrinsic it, yeah. to what it is right. um where it feels like a lot of the gratuitousness could have been taken out of the show but right. the people making it clearly have a really strong idea of tone and in a lot of and sometimes i i think actually the show is more effective for all of the weird stuff they do because they're throwing right. so much stuff at you that it lets them sort of slip in whatever they want without it feeling particularly like weird or forced or unnatural and right. so you can have these characters that are like super like messy and weird and like toxic and then also like very like vulnerable and like not being like you know you have these like men who are you know like going out and like hunting and drinking and like having sex and stuff but they're not like necessarily just like um portraits of like unhealthy masculinity like it's different and it's weird like you're you're on sort of like a whole like other like axis like it just it shifts you so that you're sort of on the back foot just because of how much stuff is going on and then it manages to get some really effective storytelling in in there and some like really like good like emotional beats and it's uh it, it feels singular it's like very unique as like a piece of content the way you're describing it almost reminds me it makes me feel like that's the way you could describe say science fiction or fantasy where part of what it does is by removing you from what you're used to mm -hmm. it gives it makes you more open to the kind of ideas and the kind of things whether it's talking about relationships or talking about yeah uh, just whatever, then if you were reading a normal story where you'd have, you'd be sort of locked into some very specific assumptions about how things go. Yeah, and I think it was, like, the thing that I ended up liking. What was the second, like, the Infinity War Endgame? Which one was the last one? Was Endgame the last one of the two? I don't remember. Uh, oh, we were talking over each other because I think we cut out for a second. Yeah, we probably did. Oh, I, did. I know we'll you did. To... <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but so anyways, what I was saying is it sort of reminds me of like Infinity War Endgame. I think Endgame was the second one of the two where, you know, I kind of at that point felt like I knew what to expect from Marvel. And then it spent so long not being what I was expecting from the movie right. that by the time in sort of like the back, like third or whatever, it became sort of like what I was expecting from a standard Marvel movie. It almost felt like refreshing again. Like right. they were able to sell me back the same thing that I was feeling was getting a little stale just because they did so right. much like weird stuff first that totally broke with my expectations. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's a really it's a really interesting piece of media. I enjoyed it a lot, but I am specifically not recommending it to people. 
Um, or maybe you should recommend it, but with the qualification to say, hey, I recommend it for these things, but there's a chance that this kind of stuff is going to make you really uncomfortable. You won't like it because of this. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, I just feel like I don't even want, if somebody's like watching it, they're like, you know, this is something that like BDCKR recommended. I, it, like, I'm not putting my seal of approval on it, right? right it's like, right. watch at your own risk. But for all of its weirdness, I think it does some stuff surprisingly well and that I so, actually like did enjoy my time with it. What's interesting to me, so the best reviewer I've ever seen or read was Roger e Ebert. And one of the reasons why wasn't because he agreed with me. And it wasn't because I always agreed with his reviews and he was always right. It was because he was able to describe films in a way and talk about why he thought something was good or bad, that whether he liked it or not, I could get a sense of whether I would like it. It was illustrative? I I, I don't necessarily know, want to say illustrative, because that tells me that it just shows you what it is. But it, mm -hmm. it sort of is what it is, but he sort of gets to the... He's able to distill down what about it that works and why it works and why it doesn't. And I have already have an idea of what I care about when I watch media. So that mm. I can recognize, well, if he, he really didn't like this, but I don't care. I'll watch yeah. it anyways. I'll enjoy the parts that he actually thought were okay. Yeah, there's uh, there's an art to that for explaining yourself well enough that, like, you... And, like, establishing, like, your own sort of, like, positionality and preferences that, like, right. other people can get the information that is valuable to them from your review, regardless of, like, how they think about it and how you think right. about it. Because so, there was an all right, so I, this is not really a spoiler, I guess anymore, and you can't really dodge me this way. But I was at the simulation convention over the weekend in Montreal, and there was actually a panel about this: is how do you talk about books that you love? And a lot of reviewers are, and editors are saying easy to talk about books I don't like because I say this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. And even with books that I like, it's easy to say, well, this didn't work. It's hard to describe why you like this book when it's something that's so brand new, so refreshing, so different, and so vital and the there were different approaches one is you know you if you've done a lot of reviews and you've established your chops and you've created you've built up this capital with your readers who look at your reviews for guidance you can say to them like oh this is perfect compared to what we talked about two weeks ago with um this is how you lose the time war and bigless mm. dickless where he, what bigless dickless did was just yeah. say hey this is great don't just read it doesn't matter just it's really good just go ahead, buy it, and nothing else. Like, no information. Yeah. But what he was, I guess, the starting point is, it went viral, obviously, afterwards, but the starting point was that he was using whatever capital he had to spend it here to convince people to, to, to read this and to trust him. And that's one approach you can take. The other approach you can mm -hmm. take is talk about what difference it made to you, like how it affected you. Mm. And it's different because it doesn't require the same kind of stuff, but it can be very intriguing if... They even they know you a little bit. Even if you haven't built up capital with them, this convince them that somehow your taste is really good. To show them, hey, this is how it made me feel. And if you're intrigued by that, then you might want to give it a go too. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, quick tangent, and this is like a stolen idea. I, I uh, first heard this uh, Michael Stevens with uh, a Vsauce uh, his episode on like the Safety Third podcast. But something really interesting because just because we're talking about recommendations and how like that's like right. different now. I think one of the reasons why Bigalisticless's tweet worked is because there's this like kind of social facilitation thing going on with recommendations now and specifically content in general where like uh to some extent people just are a lot more I think willing to see somebody say hey this thing is good check it out. Okay, yeah, so we got cut off there if it sounds a little 
unnatural. But basically what I was saying is that people are a lot more willing to just sort of get content recommended to them. And I think one of the big things uh, that I've, or one of the big platforms I've seen this on is TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. Where there's a lot of like original content, but there's like a good amount of content, which is just like people reading tweets or like people like posting like clips of like another like show. And so like one of the Mm -hmm. things is like Nathan for you, really good, really funny show. Uh, a bunch of people were just posting Nathan for you clips and it'd be like part one, part two, part three. So you just click through them so much so that uh, there's now an official Nathan for you TikTok account that just does that. I guess they decided that if people were, you know, going to infringe on their copyright, that they would at least be able to make the content uh, right. and upload it sort of the way they wanted. And the, the thing that I saw on this podcast talking about it was that the weird kind of thing about it was that the worse of a job you did ripping your content from another platform the better the media kind of did. And the reason why, or what they were suspecting anyways, is that there's this sort of social facilitation effect where if it looks really crappy and if it looks like it was just done by somebody who liked it, it's uh, that means that there's at least one person out there in the world who thought it was entertaining enough that they said, oh, I got to share this with people. And if you've done it like really polished and smooth yourself, then you are trying to show it to somebody uh, and there's no sort of there's nobody recommending it to you. There's nobody out there who thinks it's good enough that they like had to whip out their phone and like record like their laptop screen to like post a video about it. It's the person who made it who obviously has that like intrinsic motivation to share it. And so I think um, in some sense, you know, big list, big list, you know, he only had 15,000 followers on Twitter. So he and who knows how much like social capital he had with those people. Right. Um, so. I, my only thing is that I think the the thing that might be a little bit different is my understanding of it is that people are kind of just more, or I feel like I am increasingly more willing to just accept recommendations from strangers uh, mm. now because so much of like the content I get is like, you know, in one way or another, or at least has the appearance of being somebody being like, hey, check out this cool thing instead of mm. uh, necessarily like making something themselves and then saying like, check out my thing, right. uh, which is what a lot of like, I mean, that's what YouTube is primarily, right? Right. Like what we're doing is like, check out my thing. And on TikTok and other media platforms, I'm seeing more and more of like, check out this other person's thing. Isn't this cool? And like getting like, pulling like a part of it or a clip of it, or just like talking about it a little bit. uh, And just sort of like pure like recommendation as like content. So it sounds like what the implication is that the more unpolished it looks, the more it looks authentic. Yeah. I, I think it is to some extent because, you know, that's I think that's one of the reasons why Big List, Dick List caught on is because like a lot of like people were retweeting it and saying like, yeah, this is a really good book. And it was funny because that account was not like some book publisher, right. like ad campaign that wasn't some whatever. It was like maybe the most unpolished possible because it was an account that specifically had a gimmick that had nothing to do with books. Right. And right. so there was that layer of like and there's a whole um joke on uh reddit there's like a subreddit dedicated to it where people have like really like weird or like gross like usernames and then they have like a surprisingly like poignant like message replying to somebody about like mental health about like you know like stick in there like your resources whatever and so the subreddit the original example of it was there's somebody had the username rimjob steve um and <laughs> so and so um, so somebody like they replied with like a really wholesome comment and then the, the, somebody replied to them and like thanks room job steve <laughs> is it like that time where one one of the commenters had named himself it turns out to be like a porn star like had taken the porn mm-hmm. star's name is so anyways wow. yeah but so it's, okay. it's stuff like that where i think there's something almost inherently like entertaining about that 
mismatch and that like pure authenticity where it's like this person is not like somebody this account has not been set up to deliver you book recommendations this is not a reddit account that is meant to you know uh make people feel better about themselves and have like an open discussion about mental health right like this is clearly somebody who's who's made this for something very different and it's like a it's a extra rare moment of authenticity for them maybe even okay so this is how it circles around again amal el motar who is one of the authors of this is how you lose time war was actually supposed to be at the convention on the weekend oh okay and had to cancel last minute for reasons i i can't get into but that it would it would have been that would have been a nice way to tie this all together. Yeah, that would have been it would have been interesting fun to right? have a conversation about that. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of, all right. So I just want to share. This is you're going to hear this for the first time. But so this is the first time I went to the convention. Well, yeah, that I'd planned it well enough that I could get there the day early, so there'd be no rush. That I could participate in the first day's activities and stuff. So I'm, I get there on Thursday. I'm feeling super ambitious. Hotel. Gym is always pretty bad, and it wasn't that great here. So I found that there was a nearby gym that was well equipped, and I thought, you know, I'm like I said, I'm feeling ambitious. I'm going to get to off to good start after sitting in a car driving for five and a half hours. I was going to hit the gym, get a workout in, feel really good. Did you hurt yourself? I blacked out and oh, fell. No. I hit myself on the head. When I woke up, my neck was sore. I, there's a guy staring down at me saying, hey, are you okay? And I was had to think about it for a minute before I could figure out whether I was or not. Oh my gosh, what happened? So, I, I th- this, I, again, you're re- I'm reconstructing the story after the fact. Mm-hmm. So, normally at home, working on my basement, I mean, I, I do reasonably heavy lifts, but I also have a, a, a pace that's really mm-hmm. completely internal, right? I sit, I pause for as long as I need to before I do the next set. At a gym... I don't have the TV in front of me. I don't have, uh, I'm not pulling my phone to look at stuff. I'm sitting in a gym. I got nothing else to do. I'm probably not pacing myself, right? That's the first mm-hmm. thing. So I'm probably going to the next thing too soon. Second thing is that I'm also, because I know I'm not going to be working out for a few days. I hadn't worked out for a couple of days before. I was doing a full body yeah. workout instead of doing like a really focused workout. So yeah. I did fewer sets, but I did, um, I, I hit my working weight, did three sets of bench, three or actually four sets of bench, four sets of chin-ups, and then I was going to deadlift. Now, I didn't yeah. even peek out. Like, deadlift, I'll hit 315 for a triple, 335, then 345 for singles, maybe one or two singles. At 315, mm-hmm. the last thing I remember was I did the one, felt a little tired, did a second. I thought, you know what? I think I got enough juice for a, a third one. Yeah, and, and you did not have light- enough juice for a <laughs> third one. I, I, I felt a little lightheaded as I'm putting it down is when I sort of have this half memory of mm-hmm. planting my face on the ground and then you're like this is probably what had happened if it happened yeah yeah well I, I, again i don't know if it's a real memory or i'm reconstructing it and then i come back yeah and i I've clearly had enough wherewithal to sit on my be back and sitting on my bum when the guy's looking down mm-hmm. and say hey are you okay so they wasn't like face planted when i'm looking mm-hmm. at him like you know totally collapsing yeah. prone but i was clearly um not myself so how bad did you end up getting hurt then? This is the first time I'm hearing about it. I would have thought that this is something that you would have communicated to me before now, well, but I guess you wanted to I, save it. I, I didn't know. I didn't want to mention anything until I got back because, mm. uh, well, I didn't want to worry mom. And at, at, when I'm in Montreal, I just got there. This is the first day. Nothing that can yeah. happen anyways. So my neck was already starting to get sore within like an hour of it. So 
I, I just did a really hot soak every night because I know that with these kind of potential whiplash injuries, that it's often the day after or the day after that that you feel worse because, you know, you, everything cools yeah. down. It's not warm. It's not as loose and it tightens up. And, and so yeah. I think I avoided the worst trouble. But, uh, you know, I have a little mark here from on the side of my head of the temple that looks almost like a little bit of like minor, uh, what is it, road rash? But not really because it's not like asphalt I went on. It was just, you know, rubber floor, maybe the handlebar of the, or the, the, the yeah. knurling on the, the, the bar, right? The, the Olympic well, bar. Well, I'm glad you're okay. Well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> I'm good enough now. I'm glad you think you're okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm glad I think I'm okay, too. So, okay. We have had yeah. a lot of catching up here. Do we want to answer, like, one question? Do we want to, do we want to answer one question? Or we start, yeah, yeah, let's answer one question, and then, and yeah. then we'll, we'll uh, leave something for the, the next episode. Yeah, okay. Uh, so our first and only question this week comes from Cameron107. I, this is more of a comment, I guess. Uh, this is why we added so many extra letters to our Q&A way back when. But uh, Cameron says, really like the idea of breaking down and analyzing a difficult fight like this after the fact. Reminds me of the good old days when we had replays. And this was in reference to the solo video that you did last week. Right. Uh, right, right. Breaking down and analyzing a fight, as Cameron has put. So the interesting thing to me sometimes with watching videos, especially when you watch it in real time, I mean, there's certain things that you can say about it, but things pass so quickly that often the subtleties are missed. And it's neat. I mean, there's different elements of fight. There's the team composition. There's the gear loadout. Um, but what I think gets ignored a lot is the in-game adjustments that you make. I mean, there's a limit. Usually people have their have an ability or an inability to do the mini games. You can work on, you know, getting good at doing tapping really fast or swiping really fast. What people don't talk about nearly as much is the adjustments. A lot of times when people talk about teams, they'll say, this is what you can do. They might mention what you do with different teams, but they very rarely point out to you, so this is what we did right at this moment. This is what we did here. This is what we got right. This is what potentially we got wrong and why it hurt us or why it didn't hurt us. And I thought it was interesting. The reason why I did that was because the damage over time team with Arkham Knight Catwoman is spectacular, right? Mm. If you have that team, and as long as you're not facing, there's only one team that's really dangerous to it, and that's the Blackest Night Flash team. Because if, for those who don't know, and I, I mean, I talked about it last week, was that Blackest Night Flash has the passive that lets him take damage over time and change it into gaining health and gaining power. And he does that for all his Blackest Night teammates. So when you've got a team that's focused on damage over time and it's a spectacular damage over time team what do you do when you face that team besides just noping out of it mm-hmm. and it's an interesting fight because you have to pro- you have to know what's happening and you have to totally change your approach to fight so all the instincts that you've built up playing that team or grinding with that team you have to completely ignore and not only have a plan but do something completely different that plan has to be completely different where your main damage. You have to override your muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. And it's um, it's not an easy fight by any means, but it's definitely possible. And with, if you play it right, I think you should be able to beat the Blackest Knight Flash team. But the things that'll make it hard would be an Astro Harness, and um, revi- an extra revive more so on any of the characters more so than um, 
just the Black Snake Hawker one, but you know, if somebody's got Necron Scythe and somebody else has got two pieces of Forge or Gear Set, then it's going to be a really tough fight. But not, not unwinnable. It just is, is way more challenging. Yeah, so that was sort of your, your justification between giving more of like a breakdown with that kind of stuff is just that there are some like interesting like considerations. Right. And especially and, when like, yeah, it, it's, it's when things are different from business as usual. Right. And I was playing, because it was a shorter video, I could play around with some ideas that I'd had about maybe pausing it in the middle of a fight. Mm-hmm. And so commenting at that particular moment, like the moment when you see that that Arkham Catwoman has two bars and she's off screen. Now she's ready. You can tag her and then use a super. Right? So that's a consideration. That's the thought that should happen at that moment. So that at the same moment when knocking somebody out is possible, where they have plenty of health, you take it all away, then you drop her in. But only for that to do a super. You don't drop her in with any other plan because if you do, you're going to be doing a bunch of damage over time. And just even the anticipatory stuff, right? So that this is the moment where you're thinking this and not waiting until the moment where something's happening. That for At least for me, I was going to say for most people, but definitely for me, I can't really think that quickly until I've had a moment in my head to plan ahead to think. Even when it's cycling through, say, Harley Quinn's different um, special two options, mm-hmm. I can't do it the first time around. I have to think about, okay, so I saw it once. Okay, so the next time I see it, when I see it again, I'm going to press the button. Same sort of idea that I yeah. need to be ready to say, okay, so Catwoman, I'm trying to avoid bringing her in and so that for the first time, she doesn't do a bunch of extra damage over time because of Master's Death card. First time bring her in, but no, she got two bars. She's ready for Superman. She's ready to nuke one of them right off the screen. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Is that is that where we're leaving it out this week? Yeah, I think um, I think that's it's not good bad. Amount of content. I, I I do want to point out that my backup plan for today would have been Batman Ninja Batman, and the idea of how su- I, I'm really having a, a a great appreciation for Enchantress companion gear mm. because. I think it really does solve the problem of a high-powered special two that doesn't, that cannot knock out the opponent except on the last hit. Mm. Which is the opposite of what we're, we're playing right now, because you should be seeing on the screen, I, my plan is to have footage of Arkham Origins Bane, who yeah. can do it and why it's so useful, but Enchantress, I've always appreciated it for one specific thing, I appreciate it even more now for how effective it is for some really powerful characters. Okay, awesome. So maybe people can look forward to that content sometime in the future, potentially. As a fill-in? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, Uh, so to finish up, I'd like to give a shout-out to Aliza Unexpected Market Meeting Katen on one of, like, the only times I've, like, gone out and done something in, like, the longest time uh, just for, like, COVID reasons. I actually happened to see Aliza at this, like, night market event thing. So we were able to, to chat and catch up just totally unexpectedly. Was not expecting her to be there. Uh, and we were able to just say hi. So that was interesting and unexpected. Nice. Yeah. Um, so that's that's that reverence. This one's not so much funny. This is just, like, I was a little shocked when it happened. Uh, small world. Mm. Nice. And we'd also like to give a huge thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. And that would be Alexis M., who's supporting us on the Your Message Here tier, Michael DeVries, Irvin Ruiz, Hoshi127, who are supporting us on the credited level, and a list of people who have been kind enough and generous enough to have supported us at some time during this pandemic. And thank you so much for watching. We're going to see you next time. Komoda. Komoda!